welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. Get ready for your life to be changed by today's message from Pastor Luke Remington. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Turn in your Bibles. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 14. I'm going to uh, preach a message this morning that has revolutionized my life over probably the past six months. I'm gonna, I'm gonna declare something to you that has taken me through one of the most transformational walks I have ever been on with the Father this morning. I'm going to declare to you something that if you will hear and respond to, it will forever break the trap of fear, shame, guilt, and condemnation off of your life. Friend, I want to declare to you that condemnation has had a voice in your life for far too long. And today I'm here with a specific assignment and a specific mandate. I'm, I'm almost in trembling before the Lord because what's about to happen in this place is going to set some people into a freedom you never knew existed. It's going to set some people into a life you never knew was really possible for you to live. Jesus says in the book of John that his words are spirit and they are life. And what's about to happen this morning is the life of God is gonna be manifest in this room and freedom's gonna break out. If you believe that, say amen. amen. This will challenge every religious bone in your body, but that's what it's supposed to do. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse number 14, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all. That those who live should live no longer for themselves, that means they should not look for their life to be sustained by what is found in their own life. It's not just living for the ambitions of the flesh. It is living in a way that you think you are your own sustainer. You are your own provider. You are your own source of life. You should no longer live for yourself. but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we no longer thus, now, now yet, excuse me, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. And behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Friend, can I tell you what you've been sitting under for the past hour and a half is the ministry of reconciliation. What you have been feeling in your chest drawing you to a place you've never known is the ministry of reconciliation. It's the ministry that Jesus loves you so much that he doesn't want heaven without you. It's the ministry that you can be reconciled to God. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us 
the word of reconciliation. I'm going to read two more verses to you, but I'm only preaching out of one. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Where I'm preaching from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the 21st verse, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Friend, this morning, I, I want to preach a message to you simply entitled, It's All Right. It's All Right. Would you help me pray and welcome the Spirit of the Lord into this room? Father, today I have the honor of standing before your precious people to preach your precious word, God. Father, I pray today that you would not use me for anything that is found in me, God, but you would allow me to be hidden behind the shadow of your cross, that you would use me for my availability and not my ability, God, that you would speak through my vocal cords, that you would anoint my words, Yahweh, that today you would allow a freedom and a grace and a mercy to begin to sweep across this place and that you would begin to break people out of the bondage of religion, out of the yoke of self-righteous performance-based relationship, and you would draw us into the place, God, where we are loved by you, where we are loved by you. Your word says what manner of love you have lavished on us that we might be called the children of God. So I pray this morning, if anyone's away from you, God, that you would convict their hearts, that you would draw them into a relationship with you. I pray, God, for every person that has been bound in guilt and shame and condemnation this morning that you would break it off of their lives and you would allow them no longer to hear the voice of Ishmael but you would allow them to hear the voice of Isaac calling them beloved from Mount Zion I pray in the name of Jesus this morning that every addiction would break that everything that does not look like you that has taken residence in our life for far too long would be no more after this morning. That, that those of us that are still struggling with God's receptivity towards us would understand that we are accepted in the beloved this morning. And it is not by power, God, it's not by might. Let my preaching be not in word and in deed, but in demonstration of spirit and power. And I thank you this morning that you are going to manifest the life of the kingdom in this room. In Jesus' mighty name, if you believe that, shout amen and give God a praise as you're being seated. First, we, can we just take a moment to honor the angels of this house, Apostle Jeremiah and Lisa? Come on, can we give it up for them? ALC, we are blessed with the best leaders, and I'm not being hyperbolic. We are blessed with the best leaders on this earth. Amen. Can we give it up for them one more time for your apostle? We love you, apostle. We honor you this morning. Listen, today we're going to go this morning on a, on a journey that's going to challenge a lot of your thinking, that's going to challenge a lot of what you've lived under for a long time, but that's okay. There's some stuff in your life that needs to be challenged. Far too long we go to church and we have a dance and a shout and a praise party and I'm all about it. I love it. I'll dance. I'll shout. I'll sweat. I'll spit. I'll fall out. I'm as churchy as they get. But friend, can I tell you, if you go in the house of the Lord and you're never challenged, you're never convicted, you're never confronted, you're not in the right place. 
You see, so many people think the love of God is passive and it's malleable and it's not. The love of God is not passive, it's not malleable, it's not something that sits on the sidelines and watches you destroy your life. He's a father that will pull you out of messes that he sees are about to destroy you and abort the plan of God over your life. He'll correct you when he needs to correct you. If it hurts, it don't matter. The Bible says as many of those as he accepts as sons, he scourges. The love of the father is not a love that sits back. It's not this passive kindness that, 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 that we try to make into love. It's active. It's vocal. It's loud. It'll risk you being, it'll risk being misunderstood and talked about to rescue you out of junk that you have no business being in. I'm not going to get sidetracked, but so many people treat God like the fun uncle. Where you go to his house on the weekend and there's no rules and you feel good, but you have no responsibility and accountability to them when you mess up. Friend, God's not an uncle. He's a father that looks at you day by day and holds you accountable. Why? Because he birthed you into the kingdom and he knows what's inside of you and he will not stand by while you ruin your life living in a less than covenant. He's a father. I want to start by laying some groundwork and some things we're going to deal with. You might hear some theological terms that you're unfamiliar with, but I promise to catch everybody up. You know, people, when we hear the word theology, we tend to think of this cold, dead, legalistic classroom setting. But can I tell you, theology is when you gaze upon the beauty of Christ and you know him more. Theology simply means the study of God. Friend, can I tell you, the apostles studied God through experience and their experience was validated by what God declared about himself. When you, when you study theology is when you've been in prayer for hours and you see a part of God's character that's been previously hidden from you and you're in awe and wonder at who you really serve. So we're going to deal with some theology today because we have to know him more. A.W. Tozer said the most important thing a Christian can do is think rightly about God. And far too long, God has been misrepresented by people that claim to walk in his name. But can I tell you what the Father's doing in the land today is he's restoring a generation that knows who their daddy is. He's restoring a generation that knows the God they serve. They're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. They are persuaded that they have known who they have believed in. They know the God they serve. So we're going to set some things right this morning about the God we serve. Ephesians says that it's in the knowledge of him we're given the spirit of wisdom and revelation. It's not to know things, it's to know a person. See, friend, when we know who God is, when we have a deep revelation of his character, it changes our walk with him. I believe many of us, just setting a thing up, are crying out for a presence God's already released. Jesus said, lo, I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. I will not leave you as orphans. I will send a helper into the earth. Acts chapter 17 says that God is not far from any of us. The Bible says in Psalms 139, David declares, where can I go from your spirit? God, where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the highest heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. If I cast myself into the uttermost parts of the sea, you're there. Can I just help you that God's not distant from you? God's not far from you. I don't care where you are and I don't care how bad you've messed up. Let me fix this really quick. Jesus is not far from any one of you. 
Why? Because he is actively pursuing the heart of every person on this earth. It is not his will that any should perish, but that all should come unto repentance. He's not far. He's not distant. He's not passive. He's not disengaged. He is, he is invested in you knowing intimately that you're loved. Many of us are crying out for the presence of God. The presence of God is everywhere. We, matter of fact, a theological term is he is omnipresent. We don't need more of the presence of God. We need more of an awareness of whose presence we're in. That's good preaching. Because when you know who's always with you, it kicks a lot of stuff out of your life. When you know that you have the God of heaven and earth walking by your side, why would you be afraid if God be for you? Who can be against you? See, friend, a lot of us are crying out, God, send more fire, send more glory, send more anointing. And what we need to be saying is, God, let me see you and let me know you more. Let me intimately understand who you are. Can I tell you the reason it takes an eternity to go to heaven is because that's how long it takes to comprehend the goodness of the God we serve. Can I tell you, you don't need more of his presence. You need more of an awareness of whose presence you're in. You need to know the one that will never leave you. God is near. It's the study of who he is through communion and relationship that allows us to experience his fullness. The awareness of the one that is always with you is what allows you to grow in the depth of relationship with him. That is what theology is. It's the knowledge of who God is. So when I say theology, please understand what I mean. That some of these concepts are going to help you grow in understanding the God that you are in relationship and covenant with. I'm just setting a thing up so I can preach. Give me a minute. I've heard it said that there are over 4,000 religions in the world. I don't know if that's an accurate number. I don't think it is. I believe there's two religions in this world. There's two worldviews in this world. There are two ways that man interacts with God. Number one, everybody say number one. Human achievement. 99% of all religions in this world are boiled down to and consist of human achievement. It is the worldview by which you interact with God through doing your very best, living your very best, acting your very best, and hoping that at the end of the day, the good in you outweighs the bad in you and you'll be acceptable to God. Human achievement. Two religions. One, human achievement. The goal of all religion is to make people righteous. To make people righteous. Well, righteous means in right standing with God. No, that's actually not what the word righteous means. That is part of being righteous. The word righteous in the Greek in this passage of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is diakousine. And what it means is the state of one who is as he ought to be. The state of one who is as he ought to be. So the goal of religion is to make somebody as they ought to be, to make a person righteous. First religion that has a goal to make people righteous is human achievement. 99% of all religions fit into this category. This worldview tells us in order to be righteous, in order to be as you ought to be, you must be a good person, do good works, 
Believe the right way and then you will achieve and earn righteousness. You must live a good life and hope that all of your good outweighs your bad in order to be righteous in this worldview of human achievement. You need to pray the right way. Fast often. Rid yourself of sinful things and hope that God will accept what you bring to him. 99% of all religions are based out of this worldview, the religion of human achievement. Are you with me? Human achievement tells us that when we try really hard and do really good, then God might be somewhat pleased with us. When we mess up, we must get back up, work harder, do more, be better, and when we clean our act up again, we can possibly come back before God, and if all of our good outweighs all of our bad, then he'll tolerate us. The religion of human achievement, 99% of all religion fits in this category. The religion of Islam, for example, says that if you want to be right in the sight of God, human achievement, you must have the right profession of faith, pray five times a day, give, fast, and take a pilgrimage to Mecca. Believe the right thing, pray the right way, give, fast, go to a religious center. Boy, that sounds a lot like some of our relationship with Jesus. The religion of human achievement. Earning right standing with God. Maybe if I pray right, fast right, give right, go to church right, believe right, then God will accept me for what I bring to him. In Islam, God will weigh out the works at the end of your life and judge if you lived a righteous life or not. And if you earned it, then you will have a seat in paradise, and if you didn't measure up, you're going to receive eternal punishment. Buddhism, 99% of all religions fit in human achievement. I'm just giving you some quick examples, and we're going to preach. Buddhism is one of the world's largest religions and originated 2,500 years ago in India. Watch this. Buddhists believe that the human life is one of suffering and that meditation, spiritual and physical labor and good behavior are the ways, this is off of Google, to achieve enlightenment or nirvana. In other words, if you pray right, if you go to the right places, if you do the right things, and you offer that before the universe, then you will be accepted and you will be righteous. You will be as you ought to be. Mormonism says that all mankind may be saved through Christ as long as they obey perfectly the law. The religion of human achievement, 99% of all religions fall into this category. Why is that? Human achievement is the religion of the flesh. It is the religion of the world we live in. Why? Because it promises us that righteousness can be earned and achieved through what we do and what we present to God. It is the religion of this world. The religion of the flesh tells us this, that God is far off and passive, but he is looking intently into our lives to judge every mistake that we make and tally up all of our sins, all of our failures, and all of our good works, weigh them against each other, and if we're good, we're righteous, and if we're bad, we're not. It's the religion of the flesh. 
tells us that God has a demand on our lives to bring to him something acceptable. I'm going somewhere. The religion of human achievement says when we fail to do good, be good, and live right, our portion is condemnation and shame until we can get our act together and get it back right. Here's the problem with human achievement. When you look into what God has declared about himself in his word, you will find his standard is 663 laws. And every time we break one of the laws, the Bible says in James, we're guilty of transgressing the whole law. We will never be able to measure up to what God's perfect standard is. We are hopeless in measuring up in our own achievement to who God has demanded us to be. Pastor Jason hit it perfectly that God gave Moses 663 laws on Mount Sinai, which the first three letters are S-I-N, the mountain in which sin was truly birthed. The Bible says without law, sin cannot be imputed. We'll get into that in a minute. He gave Moses 663 commandments that says, Moses, if my people do this, live like this, Act like this. Don't eat crawfish. Don't cut your hair. Don't wear mixed fabrics. And they bring something to me where all their good outweighs all their bad. They'll make sacrifices that cover the rest. And I'll look over their sin. Watch this, when we failed to keep the law, there were sacrifices that covered our sins, but we were still required to get back up and strive to watch this, achieve and keep the perfect standard of God's law. Every law that we break puts us into the category of lawbreaker. Just because you didn't murder don't mean you kept God's law. Just because you didn't commit homosexuality don't mean that you kept God's law. Just because you, you didn't do the big things don't mean that you're perfect in the sight of God. Friend, can I tell you, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us have kept God's perfect standards. Ray Comfort asks people on the street, have you ever lied before? They'll say, yeah. Have you ever stolen before? Yeah. Have you ever looked upon a woman with lust? Yeah. Have you ever used God's name in vain? They'll say, yeah. He'll say, okay, based off of that, you've already broken four of the commandments. You're a lying, thieving, blasphemous, adulterer at heart. What are you gonna do on judgment day? You don't add up. You don't add up. Every law that we break, we are categorized once again as a lawbreaker, and that lawbreaker must pay the penalty for transgressing the standard of God. God's law is not sinful. God's law is perfect. It was so glorious that 2 Corinthians tells us that they had to cover the face of Moses to look upon him after Moses was given the law, that the letter was glorious. The way of righteousness through self-effort and human achievement ultimately leaves us hopeless and totally depraved in our own standing with God. The Bible says 
in Romans chapter 3, there is none that is righteous on their own. No, not one. Friend, can I tell you that if you were to look in your heart before Christ, there is nothing righteous about you. There's nothing good about you. There's nothing perfect about you. There's nothing perfect about me. We are totally hopeless to come before God in right standing through our own achievement. If you haven't figured it out yet, this is the first half of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All religion of this world that was birthed by man, 99% of everything existing that tells us how to interact with God is based out of human achievement. When we look into the law of God and his word, it leaves us utterly hopeless and in perpetual condemnation. Oh, I want to say this because this is going to help some people. How could a good God send people to hell for eternity? Number one, we'll deal with that in a minute, but he doesn't. Hell was never created for you. We'll deal with that in a minute. You were not made to be in hell. If you were righteous or as you ought to be, you wouldn't be going there. We'll talk about that in a minute. But let's think about this. How does a good God punish people to an eternity in hell? If you have a criminal who murders somebody and they go to jail, and the next day of their sentence, they're serving a life sentence. The next day of their sentence, they murder someone else and the judge adds 75 years. And the next day, they murder somebody else and the judge adds 75 more years. And the day after that, they repeat the process and they keep incurring the penalty of the law they have break, broken day after day after day. The judge is not unjust. It's the criminals who are unjust. It's the person who's unjust. Friend, can I tell you daily, daily, daily in our flesh, we transgress the law of God. We have the statutes of God. We don't measure up to the perfect standard of God. We are totally depraved, utterly hopeless, and condemnation is our portion in and of ourselves. We are not righteous. We are not as we ought to be. The law of God was revealed in the old covenant to prove to us Galatians chapter 3 says the law was a schoolmaster, a tutor to teach us that we could never measure up to what God required in our own human achievement and by our own goodness. We are totally depraved and we have no hope in achieving righteousness and honor. It's going to get good in a minute. This makes sense to our fleshly man because we live in a fallen state. We are not as we ought to be. We are not righteous. We are fallen. In our fallen state, it makes sense that God would be mad at us, that God would have wrath towards us, that we should have to work and strive and do more and be better. It makes sense because that is the religion of the flesh, of the fallen state, of the one who is not righteous. That's what that mindset produces is human Achievement. Everybody say human achievement. We live in a fallen state, so when we experience the hopelessness of sin, can I tell you, I don't know why I feel like saying this right now. I'm, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Friend, sin is utterly hopeless. There is no good thing. There is no pleasurable thing. There is no desirable thing about what the Father has declared as harmful. Can I tell you that every sin that attempts to convince you that it's good for your life, that God has declared as wicked, its ultimate goal is to make sure you never encounter the God who wants to transform and change your life so that you line up with everything you were really supposed to be. <laughs> 
There is no sin that provides hope. It's hopeless. When we experience the hopelessness of our sin and the cycle of condemnation that the religion of self-effort and human achievement provides us, we in our fallen state agree that this is the correct way. Watch this. The law, the letter, the standard of God, the Bible says, brings death and hopelessness in our unregenerate state. And what we do to try to make ourselves more acceptable to God is we live in this state of human achievement and we accept the guilt, accept the shame, and accept the condemnation. We beat our chest and declare how nasty and bad and depraved we are and we think that that's what pleases God. I cannot stand people who say you're all a bunch of sinners just like me. Baby, yes, I was a sinner, but can I tell you about what happened for me when I was lost in my sin, when I was dead in my transgression, when I was hopeless in this world without God and Christ. I met a man from another world that told me I didn't have to be bound, that told me I didn't have to be chained up. He told me that there was freedom in his gospel. I am not a sinner. Oh, I was. I was the chief of them. I was jacked up, broken, busted, and disgusted. But I met a man. I met a man. I met a man. Be seated. I don't want to get ahead of myself. I met a man. I met a man on a road to Damascus, Paul said. I met a man in an empty tomb, said the two unnamed disciples on the road to Emmaus. I met a man, said Doubting Thomas. I met a man, said Peter, who rejected him. I met a man. I met a man. I met a man, said Stephen, who saw the heavens open when he was given his I met a man said the woman at the well who told me everything I had ever done. I met a man. I met a man. What we try to do is we try to accept the guilt, accept the shame, and accept the condemnation and say, God, are you pleased with me because I know how bad I am without you? Are you pleased with me because I'm living in this cycle of shame and guilt and condemnation and I know that I'm a lawbreaker. You should be happy with me. You should be happy with me that I know I'm totally depraved. I'm utterly hopeless. You should be happy. This is what I deserve. It makes sense to us in our fallen state that God would leave us and burn with wrath every time we fall short. This is what we consider righteous. We consider it righteous that we know how messed up we are. We consider it righteous that we live under this religion of self-effort that produces condemnation and shame. We view God through the lens of our own inability and imperfection. So we can sing songs like Jireh, but don't really believe them. We can declare God as Father, but not really understand that He is who He says He is. So we view God as this schizophrenic, psychotic, uh, 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 willy-nilly, wishy-washy Father that leaves us every time we fall short and that wants nothing to do with a man that could be so hopeless as us. We view God through the lens of our own imperfection and our own depravity and our own unrighteousness. See, friend, this system of self-effort and human achievement can never give us true righteousness. 99% of all world religions that are based out of human achievement are never able to give us true righteousness, which means we're truly as we ought to be. Righteousness, remember, means the state of him who is as he ought to be. We find in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 that God created us perfect in his image with no sin, no shame, no guilt, no condemnation, and no separation. 
When God made you and I, when God breathed life into the nostril of man, he didn't breathe life into a sinner. He didn't breathe life into somebody who was depraved. He breathed life into a creation that he looked at and declared you are good. We find how God created us to be. We find the state of which we ought to be and we find what it looks like truly to be the righteousness of God. Genesis chapter one, verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created them. Male and female, he created them. We find that God created humanity for unhindered, unseparated, total perfection and love in the presence of the Father. That when God chose to form you and I out of dirt, he did not do it to create people that he could put his wrath and his anger on. He created us to lavish us with love and goodness and mercy and grace. We were not created for unrighteousness. We were not created for sin. We were not created to be in the wrath of God. We were created to be the object of his affection, the apple of his eye, the fullness of the expression of his love on this earth. When we are righteous, we are like Adam before the fall. We are as we ought to be. See, friend, in order to become truly righteous or as we should be, we have to become like Adam was before sin ever entered the picture. Before sin, before death, before separation, before shame. This cracker was so undignified. Yes, I said cracker was so undignified that he walked around butt naked with no condemnation. We don't encourage that. Please don't come in here naked. Amen. Now you can be in your house any way you want to now. I don't care. But don't you walk up in this, you know what I'm saying. Come on. Before sin, before death, before shame, and before separation, true righteousness is to be one with God and is to be in the presence of God with no sin, no shame, no guilt, no condemnation, no sickness, and no hopelessness. It is what Adam was before the fall. See, friend, human achievement will never give this to you. It'll make you feel good because you're trying really hard, but it'll always leave you coming up short to the standard of true righteousness. Human achievement will never give you this. You're corrupted by sin, so you can't be sinless. You're a lawbreaker, so you can't be guiltless. You're under the penalty of rebellion to God, which is death. So no matter what you do, righteousness will never be achieved by you, no matter how good you look, no matter how right you pray, no matter how much you fast, no matter how right you give, no matter what you do, you will never achieve righteousness through human achievement. It don't matter how good you serve, it'll never make you look like you did before you sinned. We have broken God's law and the wages of sin is death. The penalty of sin is death. And God is a just judge and he will judge us according to the law of God, which is his perfect standard. In order for us to be free, the penalty that we incurred through sin must be paid. Yeah. 
The law condemns us guilty and we owe the penalty of death. The wages of sin is death. And all human achievement combined is not able to pay the penalty of sin that we owe God through rebellion to his standard. But friend, can I tell you, there is good news. Romans chapter 8 verse 3 declares, for what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. You see, there's two types of religion. There's human achievement, but the other type is divine accomplishment, where when we were lost, when we were broken, when we were hopeless, God stepped in, in the middle of our mess, in the middle of our sin, in the middle of our depravity, God stepped in. human achievement but friend I have good news so we don't have to settle there there is a there is a way that we can interact with God that his word declares it's divine accomplishment God stepped in Galatians 4 verse 4 says this but when the fullness of time had come God sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons Christ was born into the world in the fullness of time under the law but he did what no other person could achieve. He held perfectly the standard of God. He walked this earth for 33 years never having sinned, never having fallen short. He was the righteousness of God in the earth. He was born of a virgin sent from heaven and lived a sinless life to achieve what we could never achieve. He lived perfectly righteous in the flesh, never transgressing the law of God, walking in perfect intimacy and communion in the Father. You remember how I told you that in order to be righteous, you had to be like Adam was before the fall? 2 Corinthians chapter 15 says that Christ is the second Adam. He came to earth to right what the first Adam wronged. He came to reinstitute the Adamic covenant in the earth where men walked in the Garden of Eden before the presence of a father with total perfection and righteousness. This is why Christ came because the religion of human achievement led to death. But divine accomplishment, friend, promises eternal life. Never sinning, never falling short, never transgressing the law, but living perfectly righteous before the Father. Christ came to the earth, and yet though he was sinless, he took the penalty of sin in his own body. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 15. Throw that on the screen for me. For the love of Christ compels us. Because we judge thus that if one, Jesus, died for all, then all died. See, when Jesus went to the cross, when divine accomplishment entered into the scene, he did what nobody else could do, and he did it for everybody that had no power to do it for themselves. He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. They should no longer strive for achievement. They should no longer strive for perfection. They should no longer strive for righteousness. That those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and rose again. Next verse. 
Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. That means every work we committed in the flesh was nailed to the cross in the flesh of Jesus Christ. And when God looks at you, he don't look at your failure. He don't look at your mistake. He don't look at your trauma. He does not regard you according to sinful flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus longer. I'll be messing that one up. Y'all know what I mean. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. The old covenant of human achievement that was a tutor to bring us to Christ has passed away. The old self-effort religion that only produced condemnation is passed away. And behold, all things have become new. Verse 18. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself. He accomplished it all by himself. He walked into this earth with no help from sinful humanity. The devil tried to kill him. Herod tried to stop him. Pilate couldn't find fault in him. And he stepped in and did it all by himself through Jesus Christ. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse number 19, trying to hurry. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Can I tell you that the father that Jesus revealed is exactly what God had to say about himself. Hebrews says he is the express image of the nature of God. We don't have to question God's intention for us. Jesus perfectly exegeted the Father. The God that was revealed in Christ is exactly what God has to say about himself. And this is what God declares to the world. That he does not want to impute your trespasses to you, but wants to commit to you the word of reconciliation. Meaning that he longs for you to be reconciled with him like you were as Adam was is as Adam was in the garden. He longs for you to be this way, walking before him perfect, blameless, with no condemnation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Verse 21. All religion tells you how to be as you ought to be. And 99% Islam, Buddhism, Mormonism, Taoism, and any other ism <laughs> tells you how to be as you ought to be. But friend, you serve a God that he didn't tell you. He stepped down in this earth and he shows you. He said, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become just as we ought to be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He that knew no sin became sin. He became every wrong thing in us. He became every addiction. He became every trauma. He became every sin. He became everything that plagued us that was not as we should be. He took it in his own flesh and he imputed into us the righteousness of God that we were always
always made to live what human achievement could never give us God did it himself you serve a God that looked down in the middle of your mess and said they're never going to be able to make it he looked down in the middle of your transgression and said they're never going to be able to add up yeah, he looked at that sexual perversion and he said they'll never be able to break out on their own. He looked at that sickness and said they'll never be able to heal themselves. So we stepped down in the flesh and said, it's okay, son. It's okay, daughter. You don't have to worry about human achievement. I'll accomplish everything I want in your life right by myself. Talk about the wrath of God towards sin. You want to know what the wrath of God towards sin looks like? You ever been near a person that you really loved and you really cared about that was hurt or that was sick? And you were so mad at that thing that was plaguing them? You even said, I can't stand this sickness. I can't stand this disease. You loved the person you were watching suffer so much that you said, I wish I could crawl in their body and take it on myself. Friend, can I tell you when Jesus looked at you and I and he saw that we were sin sick, that we owed a debt we could not pay, by God he looked and said, I'll take it in my own body. I'll take it on myself. They are not supposed to be this way. Put everything on me and give what I deserve to them. You have been made righteous through the cross of Jesus. You ought to give God praise before we continue. There is no sin that he cannot take. There is no sickness that he cannot heal. If God did not spare his own son, how much more freely will he give us all things? This is divine accomplishment that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself that he came and paid the penalty and broke the power and dominion of sin off this earth and invites us to become just as we ought to be through him. I want to tell you this. I'm trying to hurry. Watch this. What he did not do, Pastor Antoine, is send his son to institute a new religion in the earth of human achievement called Christianity. I've told my students this. This is where it's going to get challenging. He never called you a Christian. Find it in that word. The, the people at Antioch called us Christians because we look so much like Christ. He didn't. He did not send his son to reinstitute a religion of human achievement branded as Christianity where you gotta go to church right, where you gotta pray right, where you gotta fast right and bring your best to him. He stepped in as a loving father to reinstitute relationship with sons and daughters and accomplish in this earth making sinful man righteous. Whoa! Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. 
now you understand why these crazy people are shouting like they shout because we were once under the penalty and power of sin we were once under the penalty and power of darkness oh but he called us out of darkness into his marvelous light we know Tracy had it not been for him we would still be striving we would still be working and we would still be hopeless but he that knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus he came to make you as you ought to be and I want to declare this I know you were born in sin but baby you weren't born for sin I know you might have been born in trauma but you weren't born for trauma I know you were born in dysfunction but you weren't born for dysfunction you were made to be the righteous child of God That's why he didn't make hell for you. He made it for the devil and his angels. But those streets of gold are fashioned to fit your feet. Those pearly gates are fashioned to let you in. Everything that is in God is fashioned to be in you. You were made to be the righteousness of God. God did not send Jesus to this world to institute a new religion of human achievement, branded Christianity. He came to bring sons and daughters out of sin, sickness, separation, and condemnation back into righteousness. He came to make you as you ought to be with no effort, no works, no goodness, no achievement. Divine accomplishment came to make you a child of God. This is what you were meant for, to be 100% righteous with no shame, no guilt, and no condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He came to lavish love. He came to give grace. He came to express kindness. He came to grant mercy. Oh yes, he's a judge. But James says, mercy triumphs over judgment. He came to make you righteous. What you feel in this room is not the eloquence of a man's gift. It's the freedom of a father longing to break you out of religion and bring you into acceptance. Ephesians chapter 2 and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also we all once conducted ourselves. You ain't perfect, baby. You might have been in church for 25 years, but it's still not your own religion that keeps you today. It's still not your own achievement that keeps you today. It's still the blood of Jesus that sustains your life. I don't care how good you look. It's still the blood of Jesus.
I was once a child of wrath, but when I wake up, I wake up to new mercies. I wake up to loving kindness. Had it been up to me, I'd have failed yesterday, but oh, his steadfast love, it endures forever. But God, verse number four, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourself. No human achievement could accomplish what God did in the flesh, baby. It was all him and none of you. It was by his grace. It wasn't even by your faith. Your faith receives his grace. But had it not been for the cross, you could believe as much as you wanted to believe and you would still be lost. Oh, it's by his grace. Yes, it's through faith, but it's by his grace. It says even when we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the it is the gift of God. It's the gift of God. Oh, you know, Pastor Antoine, I remember I was thinking about this when I prepared on Christmas morning when I would walk out and I would see a present under the tree. I didn't work for it because I didn't make any money. I didn't earn it because I had been bad that year. If Santa was real, I'd have had coal. But oh, it was a gift from a good parent wrapped under a tree fashioned for me. It is the gift of God that you have been saved and made righteous through the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, Christ Jesus, that did not impute to you trespasses. He imputed his righteousness on your behalf so you could be exactly what he made you to be, beloved child of God. Verse number 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You were born in sin, yeah, and no amount of human achievement could ever make you righteous. But just because you were born in sin, lost and hopeless, don't mean God wants you in the world that way. By God, he, he wanted you righteous so bad he took it in his own flesh. What are you saying, Pastor Luke? We are no longer sinners attempting to obtain righteousness through works. We are no longer bound by the religion of self-effort and human achievement. Son, I know that you struggle with homosexuality. I know that you're embarrassed and you don't want to tell nobody. I don't know who I'm talking to. But son, he's not called you to clean yourself up. 
Daughter, he's not called you to kick that drug addiction. Mama, he ain't called you to kick that trauma. Daddy, he ain't called you to kick that anger. He just says, come unto me all, you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We are no longer sinners attempting to obtain righteousness through works. We are sons and daughters that have been declared 100% righteous by a loving Father. When we believe this gospel by grace through faith, we receive the finished work of Jesus and the very moment we do, we are born again and made 100% righteous. There is never one work that will justify your soul in the sight of God, but the moment you are born again and you are conformed unto the image of his son, you are made righteous. I'll never be more loved than I am right now. Now you know what that lyric means. It don't matter what I walk through. It don't matter what I go through. I have assurance. I have been accepted in the beloved by divine accomplishment. By grace, I have been made 100% righteous. The very, the very day you get saved, you're as saved as you'll ever be. What do you think happens every time you sin? Is Jesus crawling back up on the cross to die? No, he was the Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. He's not crawling up and down on a cross every time you have a bad thought, every time you have a bad word, every time you do something you shouldn't do. He looks at you through the lens of the perfection of Christ Jesus. And you know what he says, Tangie? He looks at your life and says, it's all right. It's all right. It's all right. You sinned, but by my grace, I'll free you. It's all right. You messed up. You fell. You walked away from the call, but by my grace, it's all right. It's all right. I know you're sick in your body, but by the cross, it's all right. It's all right. I see you, son and daughter, and I declare, it's all right. We will never be required to work to obtain our righteousness again. Romans chapter 10 verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believeth. Our salvation, friend, is instant and it is final. You don't have to wonder day by day how God views you. You don't have to wonder who you wake up to. You don't have to wonder, God, I sinned yesterday. Do you love me today? My God, every time you fall, you know you can run to a father with arms wide open saying, it's all right. It's all right. The religion of human achievement has taught us to believe God's schizophrenic. That one day he loves us and the next he don't. One day he receives us. 
when we're real good, when we preach real good, when we sing real good, when we serve real good, when we're a Christian real good, then he'll accept us. But the truth of the matter is this. Once you have been saved and you stay in the faith, Jesus will never leave you and he will never forsake you. You can mess up, you can fall, and he'll be right there saying, it's all right. I give you grace, grace, and more grace. I knew I was going to have to deal with this. Well, I can, I can sin however I want to sin because I got grace. Once you experience the grace of God, you don't want sin anymore. Once you experience the real thing, that's all you want. You don't want the drugs. You don't want the alcohol. You don't want it. You just want the presence of Yahweh manifesting in your life. When I saw the grace of God, I didn't want the marijuana. I didn't want the Xanax. I didn't want the pornography. Oh, I wanted Jesus. It was when I realized by grace, I was never meant for that stuff anyway. I was never meant for that addiction anyway. God, I want to be as I ought to be. Just because you want to go sin, you say you're saved, and I want to go sin and never serve Jesus, that don't prove his grace is insufficient. It proves you don't want it. When Jesus came upon the woman caught in adultery, we all know that they were going to stone her. Where are your accusers now? They, who has not sin cast the first stone? They all leave. Comes down to this woman. And he writes in the dirt. And everybody's like, oh, he wrote grace. He wrote their sins. The definition of grace had nothing to do with what he wrote. The definition of grace is to stoop. To stoop down. And he looked the woman in the eyes. He came to her level in the middle of her mess with a physical display of grace. He said, woman, go sin no more. He was declaring that through grace, she was no longer an adulterer. She was a beloved child of God. He said, daughter, it's all right. Go and sin no more. Your hyper grace, cheap, greasy grace, don't discount the precious grace of my God. It shows your disdain for the blood of Jesus and the cross of Christ. Oh, because when you encounter the real thing, it'll mess you up. It'll ruin you to anything less. It'll make you obsessed where all I want is him. What do you mean when you say it's all right? This is what I want to tell you. 
that I no longer stand in the presence of God, convinced of my sinfulness and convinced of my nastiness and convinced of my depravity. I stand in the presence of God, convinced he that knew no sin became sin for me. And now I know I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I stand knowing I'm accepted, I'm affirmed, I'm beloved, I'm chosen. I'm a child of the Most High God. I can stand knowing that when I'm not perfect, it's all right. When my mind's messed up and I can't see the right way, I stand knowing it's all right. When I fall, and I feel that shame and condemnation of my sin creep up. I hear the whisper of the Father saying, Son, it's all right. I still want to use you. I still want to be with you. I still want to talk to you. It's all right. You are the righteousness of God. Our old man was sinful and depraved. But if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All that's passed away. I ain't got time to read Romans chapter 5. Go home and do your homework. Go to verse number 20 of Romans chapter 5. Verse number, excuse me, go to verse number 18. I got the whole chapter, but I'm going to read a few verses. Romans chapter 5, verse 18. Therefore, as through one man, Adam, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. That's one of those theological terms, justification. And you know what Pastor Deborah taught me it meant in legacy? It means I stand before God just as if it never happened. I stand in the presence of God as though I've never sinned, never fallen short, never messed up. I stand justified through the free gift of the grace of Christ revealed in the cross of Calvary. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, Grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace, everybody say grace, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And this morning I just simply came to you to shout the declaration of the Father over you that it's all right. You messed up. You ain't got it all together. You've tried and tried and tried. But if you'll come to him this morning, he'll look at you through the sinless, spotless lamb of God and declare, it's all right. It's all right. Can I tell you that you are not who you were when you were a sinner. You're a child of God. Can you give me five minutes? For everyone struggling with 
let me just set this right. This, this whole deliverance thing, I love it. I love deliverance. I love deliverance ministry. It is a visible manifestation that Satan's kingdom has been defeated. I love, I love the casting out of devils as a part of the New Testament ministry. Put Colossians 1.13 up. It's in my notes. But for every person that's been made righteous, you're already delivered. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. You might be struggling with some demonic stuff, but it ain't got power over you. By the cross of Jesus, you have been delivered. This nonsense about you gotta go to somebody five states away and get them to lay hands on you. If you have the power of Jesus, there is no devil in hell. There is no addiction. There is nothing that has the right to remain in the life of a believer. You've just got to receive what's already been done. He's already died and defeated hell. Satan's already under his feet. You've already been delivered in whom you have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. There was a freedom that is released when you understand that it will never be about what you can do for him. And for the rest of eternity, it will always be about what he's already done for you. Stand up so I'll quit. I'm going to declare this over you. I'm going to give an altar call and I'm going to give you a chance to accept the freedom that's in this room. I prayed all morning. God, don't let this preaching be in word and deed and demonstration of spirit and power that the freedom of God would sweep in this room. This is what I want to declare to you. Those of you that are struggling with this religious trap of condemnation. I never knew why I could preach youth conferences and conventions and see 400, 500 students come to salvation and feel like a failure. If I'd have prayed harder, 450 would have got saved. If I'd have done more, that one would have got touched struggling with this religious idea and trap of condemnation and shame expressing out of your mouth well i'm a christian but i'm bound i've messed up for those of you that are struggling with that that condemnation that guilt that shame put romans chapter 8 verse 32 up this is what i want to declare over your life i'll go over here thank you what then shall we say to these things what do you want to say to addiction? What do you want to say to shame? What do you want to say to lust? What do you want to say to the thing that's kept you bound, the trauma from your childhood that, that, that's, that's caused that abuse to replay in your mind every time you go to sleep? What do you want to say to the perversion? If God is for us in the cross of Jesus, He was literally standing nailed on the cross for us, who, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up from us for us, 
how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Let me fix this whole Calvinism nonsense. It is not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Everybody's predestined to be conformed into the image of the Son of God. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. Furthermore, is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Look at the screen. For everything that human achievement told you, this separates you from God. I want to declare this over you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Listen to what the Bible says over the righteous children of God. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I am here this morning to declare there is no more separation. There is no more condemnation. There is no more being trapped in the cycle of self-effort that produces sin. You are now propelled into the grace and the mercy and the everlasting love of a good father. That in his presence, you have been delivered from everything that never was meant to be. You have been made just as you ought to be. The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I really, Robert, just came to say, I know some of you messed up, but it's all right. I know some of you keep stumbling over the same sin time and time again. God looks at you and he says, it's all right. I have called you to more. The, the beautiful thing is when, when the Jews brought the Passover lamb for inspection, Vern, you know who they didn't look at? The one who brought the lamb. You know what they looked at, Tangy? They inspected the perfection of the lamb. They inspected that the lamb was without spot, that the lamb was without wrinkle, that the lamb was without blemish. And they said, this is an acceptable sacrifice for your transgression. God is not looking at the one who brings it. He looks at the lamb and declares, it's all right.
never again you're about to have an encounter with freedom never again after this moment will you question the character of God based on your own ability never again after this moment will you wonder for one second whether you're really loved never again after this moment will you ever question if God's received you with the fullness of grace and mercy you're gonna walk out of this building having an encounter with the love and freedom and grace of Almighty God and the righteousness of God that you didn't deserve that you didn't earn is about to wreck you so much that you will know that you walk with the God of heaven and earth that declares over your life it's all right We pray you were blessed by today's message. For more content and to get to know us better, download our app at AbundantLifeChurch.com.